God wants you to experience the life that He designed. We can't allow life to kill the dream that we dream. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You will look back on your life and you'll say, man, life is good. The Word of God brings the abundant life into focus and within your grasp. As you listen, open your heart and discover life. God says that his goodness, his blessing, has run each one of us down and taken us over. And, and you know, it's, a, it's the first Sunday of the year, so we're going to have communion together. And uh, so God has prepared this table for us, and everyone in this room uh, is welcome to join in. And we have a special treat. Um, Lindy Belgard is going to lead us in communion. And we are so blessed to have Lindy here you know, her and her husband, Aaron, and their children, they moved all the way across the country to be a part of our family, and I'm so thankful for it. Me too. You guys are my family. I don't know if you realize this, but this is the longest I've ever been at any church in my whole life, because I figure I've been married to Aaron for 11 years, been coming around about 12 years, so you guys are about as good as it gets for me. So anyway, um, we're going to do some remembering today. I think we've got communion in these four corners. If you guys want to go ahead and start filing out and pick up the elements. You guys ready out there? Okay, cool. So uh, in Luke's account of the first communion, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, all right, guys, I want you to take this communion in remembrance of me. And I'm thinking, um, after spending 30-something years on earth around humans, he's realized uh, we're pretty forgetful. I'm thinking he's thinking, how many times do I have to feed thousands of people with one little guy's lunch before you realize, you know, like, I got this. (laughs) 
I'm in control. And so he's thinking, um, I'm about to tear apart everything they know, all of their traditions, all of their laws. I'm about to just shred all that. And you know, they're, they're probably going to forget <laughs> knowing them. So um, I'm going to give them this little hands-on way to remind themselves of, of the significance of what's happened. And, and knowing us again as he does, he associates it with food because we're humans. Um, so obviously he gets us. And um, I, I don't know if he was worried that we were going to forget what he did on Calvary that day, but maybe that we would forget the significance in our day-to-day life, the way that it impacts us, the way that everything changed, Um, that we're no longer subject to the world. We don't have to get caught up in the rat race. We don't have to obsess over the things that the world tells us to obsess over because we have victory, like that song that we just sang. Um, We forget that we don't have to earn salvation by being good enough because it's sometimes easier to try and earn salvation than to surrender everything to this God that we can't see. My daughter can't figure that out. Um, He's there, baby, he's there. Um, We're no longer bound by the law. Sin has no hold over us, we've been redeemed. And we don't have to live in shame. Man, it's so easy to forget that. We don't have to live in shame. Uh, We're children of God. And that's the one that I struggle with. Um, I am an affirmation addict. I need to know that you like me, that you think I'm cool. (laughs) Um, And if I have even the slightest inkling that you don't, I'm going to obsess over it. And um, I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I'm a child of God. Jesus opened the door for me to walk right into his family. And that's my identity. And that's the thing that matters. that he says I'm his, that he says I'm valid, that he says I'm worthy, that he says I don't have to strive. I used to have this job that made me feel important. <laughs> and, um, and now I stay at home with my girls, which I am so sure is my calling. I know it with all of my heart, but believing that on a daily basis is hard. Sometimes I wish I had something that was a little more impressive to tell people than I'm a stay at home mom, but that is a lie because it is important. And those girls are so, so much more important than whatever else I could be doing with my time. Um, so today, as we, as we take communion, I, I want us to remember, what, what element of that, that sacrifice do we forget on a daily basis? What's your struggle? For me, it's my identity, who Jesus says I am. Um, and what is it for you, you know? Um, do you forget that you're not alone? Do you forget that you don't have to strive? So as we take communion today, just, just think for a second. What, what do I need to remember about what Jesus did for me? And um, I think we take this first. Because then you wash it down with the juice. That's how I remember it. All right. All right. So um, let's take this together. And remember Jesus' body broken for us and what it means for you on a daily basis. I am a daughter of God. Thank you, Jesus. Give me a big cracker. And as we as we drink this cup, Jesus' blood spilled for us. What does that mean for you? What do you need to remember today? I am a daughter of God. Father God, we are so grateful to you. Jesus, your sacrifice is everything 
The grace that we receive because you came and died for us, little rascals, is absolutely overwhelming. And we forget it. We forget it every day because this world is loud. Would you be louder? Jesus, thank you for this reminder that you've given us. I pray that this week as we move forward, we would be able to remember the significance of this sacrifice. Jesus' name.
were doing worship today that God wanted to remind you, sons and daughters of God, that whatever challenge it is you're facing today, whether it be financial, physical, in your thoughts, depression, that Jesus Christ, your advocate general of the armies of heaven, has already went before you and won that battle. You're not fighting a battle. You've already won and you're in a place of victory, and there is nothing left except the celebration and the praising God about it. And that's who we are. And I'd like to thank you so much for coming to church today. we got a lot more ahead here, uh, and we're going to move on. But, uh, but I really pr- appreciate you start out your first Sunday of the New Year in church with us. I'm Dave, part of the staff, um, and thank you for being here. Why don't we greet each other? Well, good morning, everybody. It's great having you all here. Praise God. God's good. We serve a great God. Hallelujah. How many glad you're alive today? Amen. That's awesome, huh? Uh, I'm going to receive our offering, our tithes and offerings. If the ushers could please help me, just if you need to. If you're giving cash, would like a receipt, just slip your hand up one of these ushers and give you an offering envelope. If you're making out a check, you can make it out to Destiny Church. Amen. Praise God. Thank God that we can give. God blessed us so we have something to give with. Amen. So it's a great day. A little bit windy, but wow, did we have a time last week, huh? Yeah, so it's a good thing we made it this week. Um, let's pray our offering. Lord, thank you that we can give. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. It's your very nature, Lord, is love. And you, uh, you're, it's a giving love. And thank you that you've given to us all good things to enjoy. And Lord, we give back to you that, a portion of that which you've given to us. We thank you for blessing it and increasing it for your glory and your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, men. You can pass the buckets. Just want to remind you that uh, this Wednesday night we'll be back continuing our Freedom Series uh, at 6.30 right here at the church. And there's uh, for uh, children and the teens are up at the Destiny Fitness. And so it's for everybody. So that's this Wednesday at 6.30. It's called our Freedom Series. It's for everybody. And then also Monday night... Um, there's a men's meeting at the Destiny Center up on the interstate there. Um, it's, uh, it's up on top, so if you come, it's up on top. It starts at 6.30, so that's tomorrow night. So all the men are welcome to come to that. It's called, the series we're doing is Not a Fan. Not a fan, but a participant. So you're all invited, all the men are invited to that. Then also the Destiny Fitness has a roller skating party um, called Des, uh, I don't know what it's called, but anyway, so it's, uh, there's flyers around, it's uh, January 
uh, 18th at th from 3 to 9 p.m. So you can get the information off the flyer there. Well, how many are glad you're alive? Amen. Second time I've asked you that, but it's good to be alive. Amen. Amen. And uh, when we stop being alive, we'll be in heaven. Good. But I want to talk to you. This is our first. Um, there's a lot of firsts uh, today. This is the first uh, Sunday of January, first Sunday of the new year. It's also the first Sunday of the decade. So this is a lot of firsts here this this time of the year on this day. And, um, you know, the word first is huge in Scripture. And something that we're going to be looking at today is our first love. And that's something that Bible talks about. And it's huge in Scripture. So I titled this message, First Love. And I want you to open your Bibles, if you have them, or click them to Revelations chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. And um, when we talk about first, we're not just talking about first in numeric order, like this is first, and then second, and third, and fourth. Not necessarily talking about that, but first in the context of what is chief or what is the most important. What is chief or what is the most important? Um, first, not only uh, first in importance, first in affection, or to be chief. And so this is a this is a letter that was written to the church of Ephesus. Um, in the book of Revelations, John had a revelation, and he wrote this letter, which is the whole book of Revelations, to these seven churches. And as he starts out this book, he has a message, a specific tailor-made message to each church, every church. And he has something that he has to say to them. And each one of the letters, there is a kind of a corrective measure. There's something they should do except I think for one, one of the churches, there's no corrective measure, but everyone else has, a, there's a corrective measure. Now, these churches are not young churches. They're not young believers. They've been around for a while. Paul started the church at Ephesus. And it was a tremendous, if you read the count there in Acts 19, tremendous revival took place. Uh, they burned their, their idols and all their witchcraft stuff. And it was, you know, they counted up the amount. It was a lot. Can't remember what exactly it was, but it was a huge impact. In fact, the Bible says the whole city was shaken. And Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus teaching every day. So it was a daily thing that he taught. So consequently, this church progressed faster and farther than most of the churches, the New Testament churches that were around because Paul deposited so much into that church. And you can tell that by the letter of Ephesians that it wasn't a shallow type church, church, but he talks a lot about, you know, we're, we're in heavenly places and all principalities and powers are under our feet, that we're seated there in Christ, that we have authority and all these different things. And so you can tell that this church has really progressed. They're not new believers. It's not a new church plant. They're mature believers and they've accomplished a lot. In fact, it says that all of Asia had heard the word of the Lord as a result of this church. And so I want you to get the picture or the setting that this is not like a, a church that just got, got born or just got started. It's a very mature church. It's been around for a lot of years and it's had a lot of good ministry. In fact, when you start out reading here, the, the Lord acknowledges all the good that they have done. Notice in verse two, he says, I know your works as well as your labor your steadfast endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. 
You have even put to test those who refer to themselves as apostles, but they are not, and have discovered that they are false. I am also aware that you have persisted steadfastly, endured much for the sake of my name, and have not grown weary. So when you stop right there, you go, well, this is an incredible church. I mean, all the things they persevered, they, they, have, they have discernment, they have tremendous service. I think it's one translation that says that you've worked hard, not just that you've worked, but you've worked hard. So you're, you're working hard, you're laboring, you're persevering, you've suffered a lot for the name of Jesus, you have toiled, all these things that he puts to them, he's not grown weary, which is a big thing in itself, not growing weary, all these things he puts to their credit. But then he goes, but I have this against you. I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. You departed from your first love. Then he says this, therefore, remember from what high state you have fallen, repent. Do the deeds you did at the first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That is, if you do not repent. Now, the tragedy of this church, when you study it, follow it through history, Evidently, it did not repent because it did not exist much longer after this. And so the lampstand, its effectiveness or its voice in that region was snuffed out because it did not adjust to this one thing. Now, you know, they say this, that when you when you criticize or when you correct somebody, you should say a lot of nice things and then say, well, here's one thing you could work on and then and, and with some nice things. And so you say, well, maybe that's what he's doing here. He's doing some, some nice things, saying some nice things. Here's one thing you could work on. And then Annie with some nice, thing, nice things. But actually, it's more serious than that. It's not just, here's something you need to work on. He's saying that if this, this situation, even though you have all these good things that you're doing, this thing is so corrosive, this condition that you're in is so, is so corrosive that if something isn't done immediately, uh, there's going to be a situation where your, your effectiveness in the kingdom is going to be removed. I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. So he's not just saying that you need to work on this a little bit. Uh, you got a lot of good things going for you, but you need to work on this a little bit. He's saying this is a either or. If you don't get this straight, you're, gonna, you're not going to exist anymore as a church. You know, this wasn't written to an individual. It's written to a church, but obviously individuals make up the church. And so this condition existed in this church. He's not talking about how to get saved here because he keeps talking about, I know your works. And we're, we know that we're not saved by works. We know that we're saved by grace, by, faith, by grace through faith. We know that. So he's not talking about, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? He's not talking about that. But he's saying there's something that's going on inside your situation that is so corrosive that it has to be remedied, it has to, be, has to change, or I'm going to act uh, to remove your lampstand out of its place. And so it's a serious admonition. You know, if you would have gone to this church, if you would visit this church, I think what you would see is you'd see that everything was humming along. I mean, they had, because they, he talks about their ministry. He talks about all the things that they're doing. If you walked into the building, you'd probably say, man, this place is humming. I mean, there's ministry to the poor, there's ministry to the needy, there's ministry to this, there's ministry to that. Stuff is happening in this church. It's, things are going on here. It's really humming. Things are, they have, you know, worship, they have uh, good sermons, they have this, they have that. 
Stuff is really taking place in this church. But if you could step back and you could see as God sees, you would see that there is a corrosive uh, attitude that is beginning to creep into the church. And this corrosive attitude is so serious that this church is basically on life supports. And if something drastic doesn't happen, this church is going to exist no more. And I think that's pretty serious, if you ask me. Because what happens a lot of times is that we look at ministry and we forget why we are in ministry. We look at church or Christianity and we forget why we're in this whole thing. And that is to be madly in love with Jesus. How many of you can follow what I'm saying? And so this is not just a little correction that needs to be needs to take place. This is something that has to be altered or else there's something that's going to happen. God is going to act. Now, some people say, why doesn't God just let them continue and just for them to continue and do as much good as they possibly can? Uh, and, and maybe in some cases, because how many know that no church is perfect? You want to know why no church is perfect? Because all churches have people. I mean, if there was no people, we'd have a perfect church. But because you have people, you have an imperfect church. But this is not what that is. This is not that. There's no scandal in this church. I thought, you know, there's no scandal going on in this church. There's no hidden sin that's going on in this church. There, there's, it seems like, from all appearances' sake, it's a pretty good situation. But there is something that is a, is a what do you call it? It's a non-negotiable. There's something that we can't negotiate on this. We can't allow this to exist. This has to be rectified or God is saying, I'm going to act. And so that's why it's so important to look at this and understand what exactly is being said here and to really adjust ourselves. You see, here's the thing. Apathetic. Now, here's why God acted, because apathetic Christians are poor advertisement for a great God. I say that again, Steve. Okay, I will. Apathetic Christians are a poor advertisement for a great God. You see, here's the thing is, sometimes our, our head grows beyond our heart. In other words, our head grows with knowledge, but our heart doesn't keep up with passion. Our head grows, our knowledge grows, we know more, we know more of the word, we know more principles, we know more things, but our heart doesn't grow to match the knowledge that we have in our head. In other words, you, and, and sometimes we can hide behind our knowledge. We can hide our passion list behind our knowledge because we can say, well, the Bible says God is loving. He is loving and God loves everybody. He does love everybody. But what does that have to do with your passionless Christianity? How many can see what I'm saying? So our heart has to keep up with our head. Our heart has to keep up with our head. So here's the thing is, God said their effectiveness is going to diminish unless they rectify this thing, this heart condition, putting God first and loving God above everything else. You see, because God does tolerate. How many know that God tolerates a lot of stuff with us? God tolerates a lot of stuff. I mean, he to tolerates a lot of our little quirks and, and things. But here you can see that there's something God won't tolerate. And that is passionless Christianity. He will not tolerate that. You know, just to understand this from the standpoint of a natural example, it'd be like, like this. And I think this is a true example. Um, 
that, you know, let's say you're going to get married to your, to your spouse and your spouse comes to you right before the ceremony and your spouse says, I want to change the vows a little bit. Instead of saying, putting all others aside, you know, that, that phrase in the vows, putting all others aside, I'll keep myself only for you as long as we both shall live. Instead of saying that, I want to say, putting most people aside, most people aside, I'll keep myself mostly for you as long as we live. How many know that that would be a deal breaker? You say, well, it's just one little thing. I know it's just one little thing. It's just one little word in a vow that we're changing. I know it's just one little word in a vow that we're changing, but it is a deal breaker. We're not going to put most people aside and keep ourselves mostly for you as long. We're putting everybody aside, everybody aside, right? And we're keeping ourselves exclusively for you as long as we live. It is a deal breaker. And that's what God is saying. I mean, when you marry somebody, how many know that you marry imperfection? And how many know they married imperfection? We both married imperfection. But one thing we will not put up with in that list of imperfections, we will not put up with, yeah, well, I'm going to be faithful to you 360 days a week, a year, but five days a year, I'm going to be out doing the hanky-panky with the latest whatever squeeze down the street. We, we were like, that is a deal breaker. How many can see what I'm saying? And that's what God is saying. He, God is saying, sure, there's imperfections in this church, even though they had been effective. But there's one thing that was becoming a deal breaker, and that is you've left your first love. In other words, the priority that I was in your life, I was number one, I was first, I was chief among everything in your life, I was first, and that is beginning to deteriorate, and there's a corrosiveness that's coming into your relationship with me. That is a deal breaker. How many can see that? Am I making that clearer to you? So I'm not trying to say, well, you have to be absolutely perfect in order for God to, otherwise you're, you're out of here. That's not what I'm saying, because we're filled with imperfections. But there is one thing that God goes, that's a deal breaker. And that is that passionless Christianity. Because how many know that God's passionate about you? You can see that in the cross, the death and burial resurrection of Christ, you can see that he is passionate about you, totally in love with you passionate about you. He thinks about you every day. You are always on his mind, always. And he would like you to reciprocate. Amen? Amen. See, here's what's interesting. You know, and, I, and, and let's, let me say this to you. I've been a Christian for a lot of years. I hate to even tell you how long. Almost 50 years. And so, listen, this is not something that I crossed the line one day, and it's never been a battle ever again to keep Christ number one, his love number one. I wish I could say that that was the case. I crossed the line one day and I've never had to battle ever again to keep Christ number one in my life. The truth is, it is a constant battle. It is a constant battle to keep Christ number one, to keep in love with Christ. Let that be prominent in my life. Because what happens is we live in a world system that is determined to distract us. Amen. It's determined to neutralize us, marginalize us, and give us a spiritual lobotomy. I made that up. (laughs) 
so that when it comes to natural things, we're bouncing off the walls. Wee, we're so excited. Are the Vikings going to win today? No. <laughs> Come on, have faith, brother. I mean, right? We're, we're excited. We're passionate. Get the kids out of the room. I got to focus. The Vikings are playing. Don't bother me. I, don't talk to me. You want some food? Honey? No, don't bother me right now. You're passionate. Right? I mean, I just went to a Viking game last week, and I'm telling you, these people are crazy. But let's not get into that right now. But anyways, but, but then, so, so we're passionate, and I'm not, I'm not I like the, I, I sometimes like the Vikings, but anyway, so, but, but I, I'm, not, I'm not saying you can't have any interest, but here's the thing. When it comes to church, or when it comes to the things of God, if we walk around like zombies, when, around the things of God, clearly something has slipped. Clearly, something has slipped. Preach, Steve. I believe I will. You see, here's the thing. I wrote this down in my notes. Jesus is a wonderful first. He's a terrible second. Jesus is a wonderful first. Because when Jesus is first in our lives, what happens is he becomes the source of love, joy, peace, Every good thing that you can imagine, he becomes the source of it. When he's a second, he becomes a burden. That is basically, to you, a bummer. I'm preaching right. It's so important for us to keep Jesus first. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, here's what Paul said. He said, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, because I promised you in marriage to one husband, to present you as a virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The other thing that it says in, in, in Revelation is he says, go back and do the first works. Remember that? Go back and do the first works. Now, I, I thought about that a lot because when I was first saved, I don't know if I want to do that again. Because it seemed like I was really high on zeal and very low on anything else. I mean, wisdom and all that stuff, that was not there. And I was very, but I was very zealous. I mean, I was very zealous. And I'm thinking, do I want, he wants me to go back to that? I mean, come on. But here's the thing that I did have when I was first saved is I had a simplicity to my life. I had a simplicity to my life. My life was pretty much focused on, on one thing, and that is I just wanted more of God. I mean, amidst all the other crazy things that I did as a new Christian, my focus was pretty simple. I just wanted more of God. I just wanted God. I, I wanted everything God had. I wanted to hear everything that he said. I, wanted to, I poured into the scriptures because I wanted to find out everything that he was telling me. I wanted to discover every mystery there was in the Bible. I wanted to hear... Voices. I wanted to see things. I wanted to have visions. I wanted to have dreams at night. I wanted, I wanted all of it. I was just passionate. I was crazy. I mean, when you talk about, like, when I got to church, man, I'm like, I'm crazy. I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm like, hey, we in it now, man. We in it. This is exciting. Come on. What's that person do that for? Well, I think I'll do that too, you know. It's just crazy. But I went at it. I, there was a simplicity to my life. 
You know, if I missed the miss watching a football game, it didn't really matter that much because the thing that was real, not that I didn't watch a football game, but the thing that was really important, it was so simple. The thing that was really important was what I was focused on. And isn't that true with, isn't that true with young love? Now, I don't think that first love in, in a relationship is a mature love. Thank you. Thank you. I go, I don't think first love is a mature love in a relationship. There's crickets. Crick, 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 crick. <laughs> because I think that a relationship, if it's healthy, if it's healthy, should continue to increase over time. I think it should get better over time. Now, I always tell people, it's sort of like this. It goes like this. It goes up and down, but it goes continually upward. It goes, it, I wish it would go like this, but it kind of goes like this. But continue, a healthy one will continue to advance and go upward. It, the love will mature. The love will become more intense. The love will become more committed. The love will become more single, more, more focused. The love will become more sacrificial. The love will become more pronounced as the relationship develops healthy. But with a lot, an unhealthy relationship, what it does is it starts out in, a, in an ascend, but then it plateaus. Plateaus are very dangerous because plateaus are the, are, is like the next step is going to be a decline. Crickets. It is true. I'm telling you. I, I understand things. I'm, I'm old. I understand things. <laughs> I do. So, so when you fall in love, there's always focus. I mean, what, what are you doing? You know, you, two people in love, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's really ridiculous. They're always texting. Now, now they're texting. Back then they were doing other things. But, but, um, but there's focus, there's sacrifice. You know, you don't, you say, you want to go to your fa- favorite French restaurant? Um, uh, El, El McDonald's? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't happen. How many know that's true? You want to go to Casey or Christie's Steakhouse? The meals are only $75 a piece. And that's, then it's a la carte. So you have to pay extra for the potatoes and the salad. But you want to go there? No problem. I'll just get a second job. Right? I mean, that's how it is, right? Because your heart, it's not something you go, somebody sits you down and says, you got to do this. But your heart is so full, right? Your heart is so full that the sacrifice doesn't even seem like a sacrifice. Other people look at you and go, have you lost your mind? I mean, are you all there or what? You know, you you, you take them on a date. You're like Prince Charming. You run over there and you open the door. Here, my honey. And you let her in, you know, it's all, hold the door, hold the seat for her. You don't pull away when she's going to sit down. You just hold the seat for her. You look into her eyes. You can't, other people talk, don't bother me right now. Right? I mean, I'm talking, aren't I? And I'm not saying that that's the most mature love, but that is the excitement or that is the captivation about, but I mean, if, if love if a relationship develops more healthy, if it, if it develops unhealthy, what happens is the relationship plateaus. It becomes comfortable, easy. It becomes static. 
It becomes familiar. It's not non-dynamic. It's really something's seriously wrong. Right? First love's gone. Now, you can recapture it, but it will take, everybody say it. Work. I was going to say work, but focus is good, too. <laughs> it's going to take work. It's got to work at it. Relationships, you have to work at them. And that's true spiritually, too. If you want to have a healthy relationship with God, you've got to work at it. I know works, we, don't, we downplay works. We're not saved by works, but once we get into the family, if you want to have a healthy relationship, you've got to work at it. You've got to work at it. You know, after you can tell when the relationship had plateaued, you know, you, you get in the car and she's over there knocking on the window. Could you lo- unlock the door? <laughs> you know, I guess I could. Right? So this relationship has plateaued. <laughs> she talks, you don't listen. Let's not go into that right now, okay? <laughs> I don't want to get, I don't want to start a fight here. But anyway, so. But the relationship has plateaued, and that's true spiritually. I liken those two together because Paul likened those two together. He talked about, I have espoused you to Christ as a, a pure virgin to Christ. In other words, you're going to be married to him. He's your, he's, your, uh, he's your husband. You're going to be married to him. And I don't want anything to deter you from pure devotion to him. And so he's saying, you have to be on your guard. You have to fight against it. And if you're not ready to fight against it, what will happen is the spirit of the age will take you captive and will distract you. And what happens, your life goes from being simple to being complicated. Have you ever said that to somebody? Well, it's complicated. Oh, yeah, it's complicated. You remember when it was simple? Singleness, it was singleness of heart. This is first. You know, it's hard when, when, when this isn't first, then it's hard because choices become hard. What should I do? Because this obviously isn't first. But when this is first, choices are not that hard. How many see what I'm saying? That's why this has to be first. You know, it's sort of like this. I, I got to quit here. You guys still with me? So that's what happens is life gets complicated when this isn't first because choices are hard. Should I move somewhere else? Well, do they have a good church? Well, I don't know. Choices get more complicated because this isn't first. When this is first, life gets simpler because I know the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that my spiritual life is on track. So using a natural example, you know, I, I use this a few times. I talked about the river. You know, it's like, um, you know, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans and he went to the Canaan land, he didn't go straight across. He didn't leave there and went straight across. That would have been the shortest route. That, that would make the most sense. And if you were a person that didn't understand the value of water, you would say, well, let's just go straight to the Canaan land. But if you're a person that you knew that water is absolutely essential, you'd say, we can't go straight across. It is a burden because we have to follow the river. Why? Because if we don't follow the river, our life will not be sustained because we need water. We need water to drink. We need water to cleanse ourselves. We need water to cook our 
Our, our animals need water. We absolutely need water. So we have, to, we have to take the longer route because we have to stay by the river. See, a lot of times what we do is we take shortcuts. We think, well, if I got this new house, boy, am I going to be happy. How many know that earthly things create a momentary of excitement, but then it's kind of like yawn? Get this new car. Man, the smell is awesome. And I'm not against new cars. I'm just saying you, you, you get something, you, the smell is awesome. Uh, but after a while, the kid pooped on the seat. You know, the, the, the dog got in there and peed on the floor. And here we are. What a wreck. Fender falls off. I mean, somebody runs into it. Back, you know, it's just like one thing after another. It just isn't what it was meant to be. And so what happens is I don't travel I don't travel the straight logical course because I understand something. Stevie needs water. Stevie needs water. And so the river goes this way, the promised land's that way, but I'm following the river because I need to water. I it's water is a non-negotiable Listen to me. I feel God on this statement right now. Water is a non-negotiable. There's a lot of non there's a lot of negotiables, but water is a non-negotiable. If I don't have water, I'm going to die. I have to stay by the river. As I bring this to a close. Time went pretty fast for me. I don't know how how did it go for you guys? <laughs> brutal. <laughs> that was brutal. It's true, though. I know exactly what I'm talking about. See, when, when, when our Christianity, when, when Jesus becomes second, our Christianity becomes a burden, a chore. It's not what it was meant to be. When Jesus is first, Christianity or we, our relationship creates joy. How many can use some more joy? I could. How many could use some more peace? I could. How many could use some more love? I could. I know those things are shed abroad in my heart. I understand that. But I'm just saying, I could manifest some more joy. I could manifest some more peace. And it has, starts with this point, what I'm talking about here, is having a focused focus on Jesus. So I started this year with this message. Because I want 2020 to be a year of seeing clearly, seeing clearly, and going back to the simplicity of following Jesus. Going back to the simplicity of following Jesus and understanding that without this, life doesn't, doesn't make sense. Let's all stand together as the worship team comes. I thought, I have to say this, That when you think about 2020, you know, we, we talk about 2020 vision, 2020 vision. I thought that's interesting that this is the year 2020. And so having a, a sense of focus, because fo focus helps us become simple. Our lives become more simple. 
And I realize that there's a lot of things that we are involved in, but, but really, without this being the center, everything else that are meant to be benefits to us become, I don't want to say curses, but they come, become drains on us. Because, like I said, Jesus is a good first. He's not a good second. He becomes a burden with he's second in our lives because we're trying to keep something going that doesn't give us any life, doesn't give us any strength, doesn't give us any joy. Doesn't. But when he's first, he becomes a source of joy. He becomes a source of peace, becomes a source of love. Amen? Amen. Let's all pray together. Lord, we come to you today. We start out this year, 2020. And Lord, I don't know everyone's heart. I, don't, I know you know every person's heart. You certainly know my heart. And Lord, that your love and mercy is unbelievable. It's, as the scripture says, new every morning. And Lord, sometimes we hide behind our knowledge. And we justify passionless Christianity because of what we know. Lord, you said that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. God, I ask you today in this place to return, return the passion of our first love. Hallelujah. Let that passion burn once again. Lord, let that passion burn once again. Let us be consumed by your all-consuming fire, Lord. Let our lives be filled, Lord, with incredible passion. Not just for our sakes, Lord, but for our family's sake. So they'll see a demonstration of not religious folk, church folk, but wholly devoted followers of Jesus, folk, passionate people who are set on fire for God and for a relationship with him. Can we just lift our hands while you're standing there and just, just begin to ask God to just return all the passion, all the, the fire of first love Hallelujah. Restore, Lord. Restore the passion. Restore the passion, Lord. Restore the passion, God. Let our lives become more simple. Let our lives become more focused. Let our lives become more dedicated to your one thing, Lord, knowing you. As Paul said, to know you, to know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Lord, let that be our focus, our pinpoint focus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Light that is focused as a laser cuts through anything. We ask you right now, Lord, for that focus light. Focus light. Focus. Hallelujah. Focus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We just cry out this day and this hour, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That there would be a return to first love. The works of first love, Lord, there be a return to it, God. We pray for it right now. Hallelujah. No more justifications, God. 
Hallelujah. But we just ask you for a return to first love, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing this song.
Praise God. Praise God. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to have what we, we call this a fire tunnel. When I was in football, when I was a kid, we had what we call Burma Road. If you screwed up during football, the whole team lined up. You had to run down there. and They knocked you down and kicked you and stuff like that. But we redeemed that whole thing. And now we do is we, we have you walk through and we pray for you. So we're going to give you the opportunity as we close the service today to just come down and walk through the fire tunnel. They're just going to pray for you. Um, you can just walk through. Please don't stop, but just keep going unless you get overcome. But we want you to be prayed for. We're going to start this year with a new focus, a new fire, a new passion. And we're just going to pray that today for everyone who would like to. Uh, one of the things that we do do after you get done being prayed for, you can join the fire tunnel. And you can get on the end and you can pray for the next victim that comes through. And so the fire tunnel continues to grow until everybody's prayed for who wants to be prayed for. If you don't want to be prayed for, you don't have to be. But this is something that definitely will help you. And we just believe God together. So walk through like Doug just did. He didn't get prayed for, though. I don't know why they didn't pray for him. I would have definitely prayed for him. But we're going to end our service this way today. And so if you'd like to, as soon as I dismiss, just come on forward and we'll, we'll pray for you. Amen. And so I think everyone should do it. And uh, so let's do it together. OK, God bless you. Have a great week and join us for fellowship in the back. Uh, also, just say one more thing. Uh, if you if we don't have your information like last week, you know, we had to cancel if you go out the doors and to the right, there'll be a staff member there. Just He'll take your information. Basically, it's your name, your email address, your phone number, so we can tell you if something's happening over here that we won't be having church or something But because of the weather. But if there's good weather, we're having church, but that's in case there's bad weather. But anyways, I just thought of that. But let's, let's join this fire tunnel together. So let's go ahead. Let's do it right now. God bless you. You're all free to go, but join the fire tunnel. And I want you to know that He can give you today a new future. We hope this message has been a blessing to your life. A copy of this message and additional Destiny Church materials are available at destinychurchexit77.org. 